Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. It's a Saturday morning here, an October morning, beautiful fall day, and I'm here with my friend Tyler Barber. Welcome to the podcast, Tyler. Thank you, Richard. Really glad to have you here. As part of introduction, Tyler is um, gay. He is down at um, Southern Utah University in Cedar City. He is a French major. I'm a political science minor. I may have said he's 25. He served a mission in the Paris-France mission. He has since stepped away from the church. He's not currently participating in the church. Um, But I want to do this podcast with Tyler because he's become a friend of mine. I spoke at an event um, sponsored by the LDS Institute in Cedar City about a year ago, and Tyler helped coordinate that and bring people in from Cedar from the college there and we had a great attendance and um, I just recognized Tyler as a fellow human being and thought that it would be great for Tyler to share his story. We want this to be a story that just creates bridges, bridges of understanding between LDS parents and their LGBTQ children, between local leaders and LGBTQ members. Um, Tyler and I are part of the same human family. We were in the pre-existence together. We fought for the same things and even though our roads are different at this point, this is a podcast about trying to find common ground and supporting each other in their individual roads. So is that a fair introduction, Tyler? Yeah, I think that's pretty fair. I agree with it. Um, I served as a singles ward bishop in the Magna West Valley area. Hunter High was in the footprint of that ward, and Tyler grew up in that ward. And so Tyler was never in my YSA ward, mm-hmm. but we have lots of mutual friends from that experience together. So that's another connection point I have with Tyler. Talk about, let's start with, you kind of stepped away from the church and then you decided to re-engage with the Mm -hmm. church and then served a mission. Talk about, and I think as our listeners, I said up front, you've now stepped away again. Just talk about why you stepped into the church and ended up serving a mission. Um, So I, I, um, I think one of the biggest things with me is is I still had that belief in God, um, even when I stepped away from the church. And so um, I constantly was, that was on my mind. I, I was trying to to figure that out. And and so when I came, my aunt who who lives about 30 minutes away, I'd go to her house every once in a while um, for the weekends. And, and I always remember dreading Fast Sunday because we were always there on Fast Sunday. So I was trying to escape going to church, but eventually I... Um, I decided to make an active thought to pay attention and listen and and really get as much as I can out of um, the meeting since I was going anyway. Um, and that's when I really started to, um, I had a feeling at that moment that that's where I belonged, that's where I needed to be. Um, and so I just continued with that and I would make the the trip 30 minutes to, to go up to Bluffdale, about 30 minutes. Um, and I'd go to church there. Um, because I felt better and safer at, at that ward. Um, and I felt like I belonged. Um, and I met a lot of great friends there. Um, and yeah, so that, that started the journey. Uh, then I definitely, I, I started to go to, to seminary and, and I, through some of the friends I already had who was in the church, they helped me and supported me. Um, I met more friends and, and it helped, helped me to kind of dive in more. Um, even though I was still kind of reluctant, there were still some things that I was I was taking it slow, but um, one thing that I always remembered was if I was really seeking for the truth, then why don't I just accept that into my life? So that 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 was kind of something that that I felt at the time was was beneficial for me to to go through, and and I definitely 
would say I had a really strong testimony up to the point where I'd study almost constantly, it seemed, and and I got really passionate about the church, and um, that's what eventually helped make that decision, I guess, to go on a mission, because I was never really fond of leaving my mom for, for two years, and that was always the, the struggle I think I had with going on a mission, but when I graduated, or at least was about to graduate, um, I didn't feel right going to, I was accepted SEU when I was graduating. Uh, right, right around the time I was graduating high school, but I decided not to go because it didn't feel right and eventually got to the conclusion that I needed to serve a mission, um, that that was what I felt like I needed to do. And so that kind of, that whole process of just preparing for it, I guess, paid off in it. And it was, it helped me to continue to prepare with my, my now, single, at that moment, singles word, um, Bishop, who helped me through a lot of things that I was working through. Um, to eventually be able to to serve. Did you open your call in front of a lot of people, Tyler? Did yes. you open it just by yourself? I I don't know what it is about. I I I think I was super nervous, and so I really felt like there was a lot of people that helped prepare me for it. For one, um, a lot of people that were supporting me, and so I wanted it to. It didn't feel like it was just for me. Um, um, this was an accomplishment for a lot of people. Um, and, and the friends that I had, they were looking forward to a lot of, some of us were going at the same time. Um, and so I invited everyone, anyone and everyone. I'm like, whoever wants to come who supported me in this, I really wanted them to be there. And so, um, yeah, we had a, a map on the wall and said, guess where we're going stateside or, um, international. My mom was actually the one that got it right because she knew she, I, Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so she put it right on Paris. So, um, but yeah, she was, I've always dreamed of going to France and Paris and that, I studied it ever since sixth grade. So it was a huge passion of mine leading up to it. So finding out that that's where I was going was not only a shock, but a huge, huge blessing. Cause I knew that that was, that that would help in multiple ways with, with my life. So um, thanks for serving a mission. It's a big deal to leave our country and spend two years in another country. And yeah, France is kind of, I think, a pretty a pretty exciting place for most Utah missionaries to go. Yeah. Um, and some places are less exciting, but all places are hard. Oh, yeah. And I don't think the French people are particularly interested in religion and maybe not even fond of Americans these days. <laughs> so you're fighting a few uphill battles there in yeah. a beautiful country. So... Um, as we before we prepared for this podcast, I went on Facebook and kind of saw who our mutual friends were, and one stood out, who's a young man who served a mission from our ward in France, Elder Chase Player, mm-hmm. and talk about he was your companion, and I think um, you had a real family tragedy occurred during yeah. that companionship. Um, so kind of leading into maybe that companionship, I struggled a lot on my mission um, with with huge anxiety uh, crippling to the point where sometimes I couldn't even leave the apartment. And that was a lot with Chase, actually. I, I struggled. I I felt horribly bad, especially looking back because he almost had to drag me out of the apartment some days. And that's honest. um, Yeah. So it, it it was hard. Um, I, I don't know. I still don't know why I had those, that anxiety um, and what was maybe the cause, but I definitely like could not function very well. So, First of all, he helped me with that, um, even not knowing that. So if he's listening, that I I thank him for that, um, and I should reach out. Um, but so yeah, so while I was in, so we were in Van. No, we were in Amiens, and then after I went to Van, so we were in Amiens, which is um, the northeast part of France, 
And um, yeah, so I remember walking down the street. We were just about to go home from proselyting. I think we were running late. So it was kind of like a shock to get a call from president. And we're like, crap, we're not even in our apartment. So um, we... It was just about transfers. So we were we were really nervous. We're like, is one of us going to be made an AP? I'm hoping it wasn't me because of the struggles I was going through or any leadership position for that. So we kept thinking that he was going to be made AP or another zone leader or something like that. And so that's what we thought the, the call was for. So we're like, okay, we got to get home. We got to get, we got to figure out what's going on, call him back. And before it's too late, so we don't get <laughs> reprimanded or anything like that. And so I remember um, getting back to the apartment and he... He was the one that called president and he gave the phone back to me um, or not back, but he gave the phone to me and he looked concerned and I found out that my father passed away wow. and um, oh, all these emotions are coming back. Sure. Um, and it was particularly hard because uh, I didn't really have a good relationship with my father, especially my whole life, really. So, but leading up to my mission, I was very frustrated with him. It's, um, it's okay. And so he, yeah, he found out about his his death and decided to figure out what was going on. I was able to talk to my mom, and we made the decision that I was going to come home for his funeral which led to another problem because um, the, the the funeral was only a couple days later. And so getting home was going to be hard. <laughs> so uh, there was a huge miracle, and, and I won't go into too, de- too much detail, but it was a huge miracle to even get home. And so I was able to go home and be there with my family. And that, I think, was the biggest reason, even though I didn't have that, that huge relationship with my father and, and I struggled with some of that. I think I really needed to be home for my family, which most of them were not part of the church. So in my mind, I'm like, I have to be there for them, um, if not just to 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 be able to help them through this moment. So, and then you came back to your mission. Yes, and then immediately I returned, and that was one of the the worries that my my mission president had um, because of the struggles I had. He was worried that I wouldn't be able to come back, that I wouldn't feel. And, and I had made a, a huge decision from the beginning of my mission to consecrate this time. And I'm like, I'm going to stay on my mission no matter what happens. And that was a promise that I made. And so I stuck to that for my whole mission. And, and was Elder Plyer your companion or did you have a new companion because of that time? Old? So I, he was my companion for another like day or two. And then we transferred and I got sent. He got he got made, I think, a zone leader in the same area. And I got transferred to the all the way to the west side of France in Van. So. Interesting. Who made the decision for you to come home? Did you make that decision? Did your mother make that decision? Did your mission president? It was kind of a joint decision. So I feel like I was the only one that not wanted, but was actually pushing for me to come home. Everyone kind of seemed to already accept the fact that I would not because it was so close. And um, so it was definitely something, I guess I can go through a little bit of that process. I, I struggled because I I never for some, this is weird, but I had a feeling early on on my mission, and I almost felt like I was prepared for this moment because I felt like I was I, I thought about stuff like this. I was like, if anyone dies, what if whatever happens when I'm home, I'm going to stay on my mission, and I'm going. I, I that's how passionate I was about about the mission, about the gospel. Is I was going to stay. I was going to go throughout my mission. 
Um, and I wasn't and that, and that's just the thoughts that I had. And so when I found out the news, I decided to, I, I heard about my present told me, um, and I, I can't remember the exact timeline, but I remember sitting down at my desk and I had a picture of my family at my farewell, my dad included. And I just kept thinking, what can I do? What can I do to help my family at this moment? What, what, what do I need to do to, to be there for them in spirit or what, whatever I need to do. And it was just this overwhelming feeling that I need to be home. I really need to be home for my, for my dad's funeral. And, and that was is comparable to the decision to come on my mission. It was, it was exact certainty. This is what I need to do. Um, and so that was a huge, like, I think that's where I had the most faith in my life that uh, in something. And so I literally would, f I, I had to fight almost everyone to convince them that I need to be home. And so my mission president would, you know, nothing against him because he's a great man. Um, but he tried to convince me to stay because of what I was going through. So I totally understand why. Um, and since it was so short of a time period, so we'd have to get approved by the, his, the, the general or some general authorities. I don't know the, the, the line, but we had to get it approved. Um, and it was a process in that process. It was late at night, so it was hard to get that through. So, um, oh yeah, it was about a three day period that this all happened. I, I'm sorry. It's all coming back to me. So that first night is when we started that process, or I think it was the next day we started the process, but it didn't happen till late at night. And so I remember going to bed saying, it, we're going to keep, I'm going to keep that, that phone right next to my bed. If it calls, then we're going to go ahead and we're going to find a way to get to Paris and get on the next flight in the morning. Um, and yeah, so I'll, once that approval went through, my mom even said, I don't want to convince you to do anything. She was very trying to, to help me make that decision, but also it's going to be hard to do. But yeah, so long story short, <laughs> I don't want to go too long, but um, I, I remember that moment when I finally got the authorization and, um, I, I can't remember everything that went down, but ultimately we got the authorization. We ran to the, um, train station, got a ticket real quick. Um, we got to the train station, the train was delayed. And so we were waiting on the train and my mom had called me after calling president and she said, there's no flight, there's no more flights. Like you missed the last flight back home from what, cause she used to work in reservation. She works at Delta. So that's the only way I was able to do it. So she worked in reservations. She knew how to, she knows very well how to look at the flights. And so I was not devastated yet. I was, I was like, there's another flight. And I told her, I told her that I'm like, there's another flight cause I need to be home. And so I kept pushing that and she's like, I'll check, but there's not another flight. So I, <laughs> I go on the, we get on the train we're waiting and Chase, he, bless his soul. No, he, he told, he said, we really have to talk to president. We have to figure out what's going on because the office elders, um, they had messaged us and said, are you still coming? President said, you're not coming anymore. So we're like, we have to talk to president. And I'm like, let's just wait till the train goes. And that was, <laughs> I don't know if I should admit that, but I was adamant on getting home because I knew that's what I needed to do. Um, so yeah, it, it, uh, he ended up, we ended up calling president. He pretty much told me, I know I have a long, oh, I, I don't remember exactly, but I remember feeling at least that I know that I no longer had authorization to leave. 
that I that it was no longer like that I I had to stay now because there's no flight. And so I went back to my apartment and um I was devastated because I knew I had to be home and now I felt like I couldn't and I everything was lost. And so I get home and once I get home, um my mom called me and she said, I don't know how you knew it, but there's a flight. And so I'm like, it's too late. I can't leave anymore. The train is gone. Like I can't go to, I can't do And I was just bawling. I couldn't even talk. I was devastated. Um, but then Chase called mission president because I felt like I couldn't, cause I was just crushed. And he explained it to president and president said, well, of course, like he's got to go. <laughs> and so it switched. And I, when I found that out, I finally like got my composure back and we ended up going or going to the train station, but the train, we saw that was supposed to be there there was not one to leave until after the flight was going to leave so we were (laughs) stuck again well thankfully um at that moment we had a um a couple missionaries that were working on our apartment because we had some mildew and stuff growing that was potential mold and all this stuff so we um we i I don't know how I had the courage to do this, but I asked them if they would drive us to Paris and we were about two or three hours away and they said that they would and all this stuff. And and they, so we got in the car and they drove us to Paris and I made my flight and that was, yeah. So that was, that was the process of getting that feeling of, I, I don't feel like I was fighting against anyone, but they were all thinking logically and I totally understand cause that's kind of how I think too. But I, at that moment knew that that's what I needed to do. And it just more miracles that happened that we probably don't have time for, but what's your dad's it. first name? Mark, Mark, Mark Barber. Yep. Um, that was kind of an unplanned part of this podcast. Yeah. I just <laughs> actually really glad you told that whole story. story. Um, elder player, if you're listening, mission prison, if you're listening, couple, if you're listening, this is kind of complex sometimes, you know, yeah. and and I love the way we all came together to get Elder Barber home and trusted that this was the right thing. And it was an unusual situation. Yeah. I don't think we normally do that, but I love the principle of exception is where we sometimes receive inspiration that's an exception. Mm-hmm. And we follow that. And that's, a you know, as we follow the rules, I think we're have permission to receive um, times where um, the principle of expect of exception applies. Yeah. I love elder player, you know, calling back to your mission president. Um, <laughs> once you learned it was a possibility and, but I, this is a tangent, but culturally we've celebrated missionaries that don't come home mm-hmm. um, for a family death. And, we sort of elevate them as more righteous and more faithful, and this is the right thing to do. And I'd probably like to stop doing that as a culture. Yeah. Um, and just acknowledge that it's really hard to be on a mission when a mm-hmm. family member dies. And at times it's the right thing to come home. Yeah. And we should, as much as we can, um, allow the people that probably need to receive the revelation, if that's the right idea, which is the family, in this case, you or your family back home, as much as we can to honor that and not then think you're less faithful or you're less committed to the church because you felt to come home. And I recognize from a, if I were a therapist, I'd probably talk about the importance of coming home to grieve properly mm-hmm. um, and to be there for your own dad's funeral. 
And even though that's really hard, yeah. um, potentially the long-term of, uh, benefits that will be to you um, that you're home and you were a part of that and you connected during that important monumental moment in a family's time when a dear loved one dies and and perhaps just your whole family needing you there. Mm-hmm. It's hard to imagine you being there. Um, it just blessed your mom and everybody else. So I recognize that's not always practical um, or possible, but I do think that we should just kind of not create a, a cultural norm or a cultural standard um, and honor everybody's feelings about that um, and work to I do agree. the very best we can. Talk about being gay. Um, one of the questions I always ask is, mm-hmm. Tyler, when did you know you were gay? <laughs> yeah. Because when you know you were gay and when you came out are often very different. Yes. And that's not a sign of weakness. It's just a sign of everybody's individual journey. Yeah. So, so when did you know you were gay, Tyler? You're 25 right now. Yes. Yes. Um, I knew for sure when I was 12. Um, that was when I really made that connection. Um, and and I, I, I just, I, I don't even know how to explain everything, but, um, I remember once I realized that that was the case, um, the culture that we, that we live in, the society, the religion, all that stuff, that was, that was all telling me that this was bad, that this was wrong, that this, this is not something that God intended. Um, and so with that in mind, I turned to God, um, and this was, I think around the time that I was actually not going to church anymore, um, that I realized this and, and, but I had that strong faith in God. Um, and I prayed and I said, this is that I prayed to have them, have him take this away from me, that, that to make me straight because I can't live like that, that that this has gotta be, there's gotta be a way to, to remove that from me. Um, and then when that didn't work after a few months, I remember, praying even harder for him to just love me and accept me for who I am. Um, and I don't remember receiving any profound feeling, um, of anything or, or, or I just remember feeling I need to be patient. Um, which for me, I took that as like the final word that I just need to work through this. And that's kind of how I interpreted that feeling. Um, and so I just kept working at it and, and trying to just push it aside and, and work towards, living my life, living the, the, the life, and especially when I came back to the church, trying to, to, to just go with a plan, um, uh, other than my mission, but that, that ended up happening, which I'm grateful it did, but, but just, you know, marrying in the temple and, and finding a woman and eventually did that you make was the deals goal. with God to be straight. Not like, actively. <laughs> did you think the mission <laughs> would make you straight? Um, I did, but I don't think that was like the main thought, but that was definitely, I, now that I look back, it felt like it was a huge motivation. Um, but I didn't think of it as that at the moment. Like it was, um, I don't know how to explain it, but it, was, it wasn't the motivation, but it was definitely in the background of my mind. There was a lot of things and a lot of reasons that I realized why I felt like I was pushed to go on a mission. And some of them were spiritual and some of them were it's honest to redeem myself and redeem my family because I was the youngest and the only one that was going to serve a mission. And, and my other brothers had left the church. And, um, so it was just me. I was actually, my mom wasn't even active. And, and so it was just me that was kind of trying to pull the spirituality back into my family. And, 
It's a lot to carry. Yeah. <laughs> now that I look back, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you've got a lot going on there. And, yeah. Um, doing all that as a straight Latter-day Saint, but then being gay yeah. and doing all that, it's pretty heavy load, but it's a, but your motives are great. Um, and I, this is one of the things I know about you, Tyler, is it seems like everything you've wanted to do is to do things for the right reason. I try. <laughs> and um, you're not perfect, and I'm not, but I love your motive and your reason for Thank wanting you. to serve a mission and, and help the people of French. And and just to, I'm glad Elder Player was your companion. He's just mm-hmm. a great young man from our ward and quite the entrepreneur. I remember him yeah. <laughs> um, doing lots of entrepreneur things and just a great young man, great family. Talk about um, the most difficult emotional time for you. Um, and that may involve, you don't have to really disclose this, feelings about suicide. Most of the LGBTQ people I meet with have really dark times and feelings about suicide and just sort of at the end of the rope. And the other reason I want you to talk about it is just kind of, because I think you may give hope to others that are in that space right mm-hmm. now. When was the, and maybe it comes and goes, so maybe... Yeah. <laughs> It happens all the time. Mm-hmm. Just talk about the hardest times emotionally for you. So I think the first time that I actually realized that that was a, a risk was right after my mission. Um, I was just about to graduate from Salt Lake Community College. Um, I had tried dating women in the past, um, and I it, I tried a couple people in the church, and then I really felt a strong connection um, with someone who was raised in the church, but then left and their whole family left. And, and, and so part of me was like, well, at this point, I don't, I, I, I feel like I was even, cause my mind was so focused around the church, um, leading when I was on a mission and, and even after, and I was trying to live the best way I can within the church. So I even thought, well, if I can find someone that I connect with very well outside of the church, even that would be good. And and part of me almost feels guilty for thinking that now, but like that was my mindset. And, and I, I, I still love, and I love this, this woman and we dated for about a month, but I couldn't even kiss her. I couldn't like, there was just something holding me back. And, and I had the same feelings that I felt when I started trying to date when I was younger, it was just huge butterflies. Like, I don't, I don't even know if I should call them butterflies because it was not a pleasant feeling. It was not a good thing. Like it was, it was extreme anxiety is I maybe what I could call it now. Um, but I, I just, I couldn't bring myself, um, to, to fully enter into that relationship. And so, um, so yeah, that was, that led me to a feeling of this is all, it's not like I can't heal myself of being gay and that, and I kind of came to that realization. It hit me a lot after my mission. Um, but I felt like, well, I'll still, I'll talk to, you know, if I find a woman that I feel like I can live with, I'll talk to them about it. And, and before I knew the terminology, cause this is before I even looked into anyone else being gay in the church. Like I, this was me trying to do it alone. And that was probably not the best thing like with my bishops and with people, you know, I would talk to them about it, but um, not having any other knowledge of people who who went through this, and so um, I def yeah, so that that led me to the thought of eventually I I felt like I had to either I, I saw myself as having two choices. Um, I either was going to go down the road I was going, um, and I knew at that there was I don't know what it was, but I had a huge strong feeling that that was going to lead to me taking my own life, um, and and I wasn't at that point yet. 
Um, and that road being trying to make it work with a woman. Yes, try and, to make it work with a woman and 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 try and to... And you knew sort of that would just make you feel more broken and just yes. remind you of the mm-hmm. just a feeling that there's just brokenness in yeah. you. And I, I, I remember feeling a lot too that it started, it, it really seemed unfair what I was doing, um, that I was trying to make. And that maybe add to your brokenness. Just yeah, you're yeah. You're going to add to someone's burden by who you are. There was, there was a feeling of guilt to try to make a woman go through that life with me, that, that they wouldn't receive the validation that a, a straight man could give them and love them. Um, and so I, I felt like every, my whole world was going to, come was crashing down and was just going to only keep crashing down unless I started to accept myself. And so that was the two, excuse me, that was the two choices, either continue down that pathway or accept myself. Um, and once I started to accept that idea that I could accept myself, um, I really started to feel a peace that, that I don't think I've ever felt before to that even like even deciding to go on a mission and deciding to come home from my dad's funeral, like the peace was at least comparable to those two decisions. And so, um, I did, I kept researching it. I actually went to France again, right after I broke up with, it was right after, right before I broke up with, um, this woman. And, um, we, to this day, we're still friends. Um, we don't keep in contact cause I started keeping contact, but we are friends, but I, um, I decided to look into that and, it felt like something I needed to do. Once I got home from France, I think it was cer- certain that that's what I needed to do was accept myself and come out. And so I started that. That was in May. I started that process um, pretty much all summer, doing more research, looking into. And, and my focus was people in the church who stayed in the church who are accepting themselves and and how to make that work. And so that was my focus for a long time. And then eventually I... Um, I knew that there was a member of the church in my ward who was gay. Um, and I, I knew him from like elementary and junior high. And, um, and so I, we, we would go to FHEs and one time we became close enough where he just looked at me and he was like, are you gay? Or, or, or I, I think he said, asked me, do you experience same sex attraction? And I said, yeah. <laughs> and that was the first time I think I admitted it to someone other Thanks than like my bishop. Courage. Yeah. And so that was. That was a really pivotal moment, I guess, in my life um, that I kind of just accepted that. And and so we talked about it and he talked about his experience. And so I had a firsthand look. And then um, I think that's around the time where maybe your ward at least was brought up. Um, I didn't know for sure if it was yours or he just said there was a ward um, that, that there's a bishop who accepts and loves in, in a place where a lot of LGBT people go. I don't know if that was your word or not, but no, <laughs> I was trying to do that. We never really had any LGBT people oh, okay, outside okay. of our boundaries come. Okay. But I started Maybe to meet with people else. that just needed a trusted adult to talk to. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, he brought some people who were also experienced that they, they helped me through the risks of coming out and talk about that. And I, I thank them all for that, even if I'm not close friends with with that friend anymore um, due to some complications. Um, I, I am grateful for that That's experience. Um, but yeah, so that I think was the first big moment coming back to the question of where I, I really felt that um, those feelings, the negative feelings and, and the feelings of potentially taking my own life. And, and, and thankfully, I... I never got to ever have gotten to the point where I would, I would make a plan. It was never that serious, which I'm grateful for. 
Um, but there have been moments with different situations that have made it that serious again. Um, what would you say to somebody that's suicidal? Um, I think the biggest thing is, is reassuring them that I am care for them and that their feelings are valid. That's, I think that's the, maybe a controversial thing, but what they're going through is valid. Their feelings to make that choice is valid. Not that it's a good, like, I don't even want to say it's a bad decision because that is a way for them to answer a uh, problem. For me, I don't want that to ever happen and I would never encourage and I never want that to ever happen. But for someone in that moment, they need to know that people understand that that is a choice that, that is it, it. People say it's not an option, but to them, it is an option. And I don't want it to be an option and it shouldn't be an option. But I think helping them understand that I've been there, that I know what you're going through. Let's work through it so that you don't have to make that option because it's almost it, it, pe people when they make that decision, at least from what I've experienced and people that I've talked to, um, it's an experience. It's it's a last resort thing. And so helping them realize that it's not a last resort and say, let's work through this. Let's let's just take it one more day. Let's get you help and then work through these issues. But recognizing that that is an option for them and, and it's not one that anyone wants them to make, but also giving them that power that this is your choice. The more the control that they have on the choice, the more likely they're going to work through it, is my opinion and what what I've looked into. So. It's uh, a great answer. Um, I love that answer. I love the way you actually validated this is a, an answer. Um, but and I think if you validate that, it's probably more and less likely that they're actually going to do that. Yeah, it's if scary you, to validate it though. I it know, is. And <laughs> you sort of think that well that I'm giving them a permission, but yeah. I think they need to know that you understand how difficult their road is and how that is an answer in some ways to take away the pain. Yeah. Um, and I think then as you have a trusted relationship with them, you can help walk them and around that road and help them see the future that they have mm -hmm. and a future like you have and others that have, um, dodged that road. Um, and then you're able to help others. We do talk about suicide a lot on this podcast. Um, it's not just LGBTQ, it's yeah. obviously straight people and other people, and it's a real challenge in our society right now. Oh yeah. Um, I've talked about the Fallon model a little bit that someone else taught me about. It's just this idea that sometimes there's three circles. One is a feeling of not belonging, and that's one sort of factor. Another one is a feeling that um, you're in this, you're messing up someone else's plan, or you're mm -hmm. you're a liability to the family, or you're being gay is messing up your eternal family. And that a conclusion then that everybody's better off if you're not here, which I believe is a lie of Satan, by yeah. the way. I think Satan's real, um, but I think that's a lie. No one is better off, you know, even if someone steps away from the church, no family is better off with somebody that dies by suicide. Mm -hmm. And that's just a lie. Um, and the third one is maybe... Um, I can't even say this word, a propensity to for higher risk and more spontaneous yeah. behavior. So thank you for sharing that. It's tender stuff, yeah. Tyler. And my respect for you is pretty high for being able to talk about that. Some of the very best people I know have been um, very close to suicide. And it's not a weakness. <laughs> no. It's not a spiritual, you know, it's just the reality of the situation in some people's lives. 
And if we can sort of de-shame those feelings that you felt or those things you were considering, then I think it's more likely people open up and say, hey, this is how I'm feeling, and that's okay how you feel. You need yeah. to talk to people about how you feel. And I love what you did is validated how people feel. I tweeted out the other day, it's better to um, step away from your faith if needed than to die by suicide. I think we all know that, but some yeah. may think that's a binary that we have to choose one or the other. And I, I think we all agree that people are better off, you know, even if they have to step away from the faith, that they were born in and, and want to stay involved with it, it's better that they do that than, than choose suicide. Any more thoughts on that before we move on, Tyler? Um, I, I think I would just encourage people um, to not be afraid. This is actually something we talk about in my job, um, but not in the same context, but like the same kind of idea is um, we talk about my job. I don't think that there's anyone who would leave the university because we cared too much. It's always because we don't care enough. And I think that applies the same way as if if we're we get over that fear of not showing that care or showing that fear, care too much. I think we have these fears of we don't know what it's going to be like. We don't know what they're experiencing. We don't know if we can handle what they're talking about. But if we just nobody's ever going to be offended or um, think negatively of someone who cared too much. Yeah, they might be like, I don't know what their motives are, but you're showing that you care. And that, and that, the more sincere, the better. But I think that we need to, to really focus on just showing that we care, even if it's just simply a text saying, I love you, or I care, I'm thinking about you, um, or just giving someone a hug. I'm, I'm a big hugger. I like to, to, to give people hugs, tap them. <laughs> like I'm, I'm a touchy person. That's how I show my, my affection for even just people that I care about. And so that's my opinion is just show that you care over anything. Um, I love that. And I was reminded, I think it's in Matthew of, um, you know, the person that, you know, did all these wonderful things. And then the scripture, that's that parable, or that section ends in it, in as much as you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. Mm-hmm. And so what you're talking about is what Christ taught. And he taught that, you know, saying, if you really love me, you're going to take care of, of my children. Yeah. And even ones that, um, have stepped away from our faith and ones that, you know, have a harder road and we're just going, the doctrine is love and the doctrine is we need to put our arms around you and just honor your journey. And to me, the foundation of that is the example that Christ did. I don't, Mm -hmm. it's not like I have to make up doctrine to do what you just taught Tyler. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, and somehow or compromise any doctrine to just love you and love um, other people in my life that may believe or feel or look different than I do. Mm. Um, talk, as you, That's a good transition into your job. Tell us what you do at Southern University. You're obviously a student there, a yep. French student, but you have a job with the administration with Eric Kirby. Yep. So I, I work as an ace, which is the title for assistant coach for excellence and success, big title, big (laughs) name to just pretty much mean a peer mentor. Um, I, um, our role is to help students, um, help them through their first year at SU and it's transitioned to even mean their second year. And now we're even trying to make a push for, to have an ACE available assigned to each student throughout their whole journey. So that's stuff in the works, but, um, 
what I do is I've always been in the same position of helping those incoming students. So last year I, I had a cohort of students that I helped. I reached out to them. I, I informed them about things that they have to do to be prepared. Um, and I just helped them through that first year um, to make sure that they have all the information they need to be successful um, and also connect them to other resources on campus. Um, we provide events. We, pro we, 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 we help with the first, the, First year orientation, incoming or in, incoming student orientation called Thunder U. Um, and so we do a lot of things to pretty much just help um, students become acclimated, which is a big word, um, but um, acclimated to college, university and university life. So um, I love what you're doing there. Is there an is that it's obviously broader than LGBTQ? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. It's everyone. It's. Tell us about Eric Kirby was on our podcast. He was episode mm -hmm. 38. Um, I think he's the assistant vice, uh, an assistant vice president at Southern Utah mm -hmm. University. And, and he made an Instagram post or Facebook post during that just talked about his, as an active LDS guy um, and his love, support, whatever of LGBTQ. Are mm -hmm. you, do you remember that? Yes, I don't remember exact post, but yeah, he and just talk about because I I like his example as just what I'm trying to do is sort of say this isn't a binary thing where mm -hmm. I don't have to sell out my church to or my doctrine. In fact, it is my doctrine that allows me to do both: be a committed Latter Day Saint if that's my path, and support and honor LGBTQ people. Yeah, so um, I think with with Eric Kirby, I, so I had a class with him <laughs> right before I got the job. I went to, I took his constitutional law class because that's something that as a political science minor, I'm definitely passionate about um, political science and the, the law and constitution and stuff like that. So I took that class not knowing what I was getting into <laughs> and he's a great professor. Um, even though that's, that was just one class that he, that he taught, it was asked to teach. Um, it's not his full-time position, but um, there was a lot of, um, of, of aces in there. And, and I, thought I was randomly just checking the website um, to to look for a job. And that's how I applied to be an ace. And that's how I got more um, affiliated with him. But um, he, from from that class, and this kind of shows his character and, and who he is, um, is from that class, the first day before we even met him, he knew, I would say 99% of our names. I, I Maybe really? he messed up once. I don't know, but I'll give that maybe little variable. But yeah, so he knew all of our names, um, those of us who at least took our picture before and put it on the thing. So he took the time to, to and that's that's kind of who he is. He takes that time to get to know people and um, and he, that's how, that's how this program is so successful because he, he, he instills that on us and and he he knows how to to really show people that he genuinely cares. At least for me, that's that's my experience with him. Um, and and I've heard others talk about it, but he's he would always talk to me in the halls. Um, and whenever he saw me, he would come over. Um, even when if he was walking down with the president of the university, he would walk with me or come over and check up on me, see how I was doing. Um, and I appreciate that. That's really, I didn't even know he was part of the ACES program, to be honest. I didn't know he was the one that in charge of it. I had no idea at the time. Um, and so when I went to do my interview, cause he, I think that was his first year when I applied two years ago. Yeah. Two years ago, I think that was his first year that he stepped away from the ACES program and, and has, we now have a coordinator, um, who's my boss, um, Ryan Bailey. And he, so I went to an interview with him to, to get that job 
and and Eric Kirby, while I was waiting, he just sat there talking to me, and I'm like, I don't know why this, why my professor's here, the assistant, like I didn't know why I, that that didn't connect for some reason, and he would just sit there and talk to me, and he was that's just his character, and so um, and that he's helped me through some issues where where I, I need to vent about the church, and he's helped me work through some of these things, and he he's always been a good support of of also helping me learn how to do self-care and and so yeah he was definitely I think one of the first men that I've been able to in an authority figure connect to um and so how did he find out you were gay so I was I was open once I came down to SEU I didn't necessarily hide it um I had the rainbow phase is what I maybe should call it where I I had like a rainbow bracelet on all the time I still wear my rainbow ring um but I I would wear like shirts that just because I my biggest thing is I didn't want to justify why I wasn't dating a woman why I wasn't married anymore why like I wanted to I didn't want to have to justify that to people anymore and so I was open I was I didn't push it but I didn't hide it and maybe in some ways I pushed it but not like in a super intrusive way and so I, I and then he also saw me with my ex-boyfriend one time my only boyfriend I guess um and I went to spring orientation right before the semester that I had class with him. And I went there and he saw me there. And then I was walking to class and he saw me with him and we talked. And so it was, I think he, ever since I knew him, he knew. So I was kind of introduced as that's who I was. Not like as my only identity, but he knew that from the beginning. Um, I found his tweet. Um that is the reason I connected with Eric Kirby because mm-hmm. yeah. this tweet came across on June 3rd of, of 1918, um, 2018. Sorry, we didn't have Twitter and <laughs> yeah. uh, we didn't have a Twitter back then. <laughs> so anyway, this only a year ago and six months ago, Eric M. Kirby, if you want to follow him on Twitter, he's at Eric M. Kirby. I'm a straight male Mormon. You'd probably say LDS now. Mm-hmm. Um, so what does Pride Month have to do with me? You know, he's married, he's got a family, actually a lot. Happy Pride Month to all to agree to. Then he has a list here. Treat others with fairness and dignity. See all as God's children. Appreciate diversity. Um, Provide more safe and welcoming spaces and show more love. It's got like, you know, at the time it had 2,300 retweets and 17,000 likes. And um, that was the space I was trying to step in. And mm-hmm. still, I'm trying to do a good job of that. Um, yeah. And so, I just love that. And I, it's interesting. Did it help just to have, um, you know, somebody like Eric, a, a guy in the church, a straight Mormon guy, LDS guy, that just is that more help? Are those sometimes relationships helpful to you, or even more helpful, just to feel like this is a guy that probably naturally shouldn't accept me, mm-hmm. but still keeps me in his circle of friendship. Yeah, no, that was extremely helpful. That's what I needed. Um, because for me, I I still struggle with a lot of things with the church, with with even the LGBTQ community and feeling like I fit in there. And, and I honest. feel I, I'm always kind of in the middle where I feel like I don't know where I fit in still. And I'm learning to be comfortable there because I don't know if I want to fit in. in an, I, I have to trot around my words because I don't know how to express it and I don't want to um but I I don't know if I want to fit in a realm where I'm expected to be someone that I don't know if I'm fully that 
That's okay. Or I want to be who I am is what I want to say. So I don't know if I want to fully fit in, in in different places. So that's a weird concept. But um, so I I think having those people that are in both communities and being able to be that bridge is where I fit best. And so with him having someone like that is exactly what I needed. And I have, I've built up many relationships like this. And so I'm grateful to have relationships on all sides of the conversation um, to a certain degree. And, and that's, that's where I feel best because I'm kind of a people pleaser I've noticed. And and growing up, I was always the people pleaser. Um, and, and that's not necessarily something I try to do, but it just happens. And I try to, to bring people together. And that's, that's kind of a strength that I've realized through this job. Um, and looking back that I, I'm, I have that desire of inclusion and including people. Um, definitely I'm weaker at it when I struggle. I've realized that also. Um, but, um, I think that going back to that topic with Eric Kirby, I think he's, he embodies someone who I feel safe. I can go to about things. Um, and he's trained many people that I interact with due to my job, or he just interacts with people like that. Um, who are the same way. I have many people that I know in the church that, that I can go to and talk to and and, exp- and just, just be friends with. We don't have to dive into anything. We can just be friends and we can, and regardless of, of who we are, what we believe, what we, stuff like that. And that's just. Do you have people in the church that you can talk to about your, your, your frustrations with the church? I think that's where I'm starting to realize that I don't know if it's even fully fair, um, to push that on people. Um, I really thoughtful answer. Yeah. I, I, it took me a while because I, you know, I think initially I'm like, I have to express these frustrations. So first of all, people who are in the church that are struggling with it can know that I can go to me. But second of all, so that people who are maybe the ones that not even knowingly are creating that culture can know what to change. But at the same time, I feel like I've noticed that it's kind of intrusive on on people's comfortability, and and that should be respected to a certain degree. Um, I also believe that there are some things that that I don't, I think I can still bring up. But when I'm talking face to face with people, and and I bring up some issues that I have, I notice I I don't know I, I notice a lot of body language, a lot of things, and maybe it's my anxiety just reading things wrong. I don't know, but I've noticed that people kind of pull back. And that's natural. And that's, you know, sometimes some people would say push on that. And that's okay that I'm not against people pushing against that. But that's not something I want to do um, anymore, at least. And I, so for me, I, I, I don't know if I have anyone that I feel comfortable enough pushing on um, with that. So um, I guess this is a good segue into I've, I've decided to blog um, and create a blog. Um, and so um, that's kind of where I've I've started to focus my my feelings and frustrations and, and things that I go through. I don't I don't even know if I want to say frustrations, but experiences that seem to be taboo, issues that that I feel like weren't working, and the reasons why I left the church, maybe more specifically, um, and and issues that I that I struggle with um, related to that or either other taboo conversations, um, and so that's kind of what I've learn to balance with tell our listeners the name of your blog so um the website is my taboo life dot we or oh i went to hold it my taboo life dot wordpress dot com 
and my taboo t a b o o l i f e dot wordpress dot com. Yep. I like that you're writing. I think relying writing's therapeutic, and I like then that people can know how you're feeling. So those that want to engage in how you're feeling can kind of process it perhaps online. Mm-hmm. Um, I do also hope that we are able, I, I, I love your sensitivity. You maybe don't want to fully open up with your frustrations about the church to committed Latter-day Saints because it may be more than they can handle. Yeah. And it may be hard for them to hear those kind of things. Um, so I get that. Um, but I love the way, I kind of go back to what you talked about suicide, mm-hmm. that you needed people for, you were trying to, in your talk about suicide earlier in the podcast, you honored how people felt, and yeah. you felt that was a principle of ministering to them to keep them from potentially going through a suicide, and even saying, I understand how you feel, and mm-hmm. and that's actually, without inviting them to do it, you recognize that's an option that's obviously... Um, that they're considering, even though it's an option we both want not want them to do. Yeah. So I sometimes wonder, I don't know if that's fair to ask. I, I just love the boundaries you're trying to create where you're not trying to sort of, you're so sensitive to other people that you, you don't want to add to their burden. But I think it's a principle of ministering is that if we in the church can hear stories like Tyler's and maybe hear a frustration or two, mm-hmm. um, even if we don't feel that way or we feel like it's not, we just honor how people feel yeah, without a need to sort of cause them not to feel that way. And it's just your lived experience. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of just, it's a real thoughtful discussion, but I think it's a principle that we can do. And I sense that yeah. there are some people in your life that are trying to do that, but you're, I also love this idea that it's hard to totally belong in the LGBT community. That's mm-hmm. true for um, people with connections to the church, and it's hard for you to totally belong in the church right now as you've stepped yeah. away, obviously. Um, and if you feel like your path is to be in a same-sex partnership, there's not really a path to do that in the church. Mm-hmm. So that can create, back to that circle of su- those three circles of suicide, a real feeling of not belonging because you don't really belong anywhere now. <laughs> yeah. And definitely. I love that, but I love your maturity, Tyler, and that you're just saying, I, I'm kind of taking care of myself right now. I don't really need to figure out everything mm-hmm. right now. Um, and I love that poor you are right now. Thank you. Um, that's kind of my advice to a lot of LGBTQ people in their 20s, even teens, is to go slow. You don't have to figure this all out right mm-hmm. now. Um, and you need to take care of yourself. And you need to become the very best self you can be. I've always thought we make best life decisions when we're our best personal selves. And yeah. Um, more thoughts on that. Yeah. So um, I guess it's important to say, because when I first came out and first started to step away from the church, I definitely maybe didn't practice the same concept that I'm speaking it's of okay. now. It's okay. Um, it's a journey. Yeah. And so that, that's come from lived experiences and, and trial and error. Um, I definitely would, I, I got in a, I don't, I don't want to say got in a lot of trouble, but I think I've lost certain trust from others and others lost trust from me because um, when Elder Oaks was first made um, the first counselor, I struggled a lot with that because he's one that, that adamantly talks against the LGBTQ community. Um, and and so I, I posted a frustration about that. And um, my post, the words that I said, I think were not very intrusive. Um, I said that I wasn't going to let it affect my happiness. I was going to just try and, you know, at the time I was a lot more um, focused on still 
you know, believing in God and all that stuff. So I, I definitely respect it. I'm like, you know, God's going to help me work through this. Um, on, and, and I'm not going to let it affect my happiness and my struggles. Um, but I did post an image that had some of the quotes that Elder Oaks had said towards the the community. And so that sparked an uprise from some of my, um, my family specifically, I think was where it hurt me the most. Um, I had quite a few people, um, that would, that were attacking, I wouldn't say full on attacking me, but it seemed like they were coming at me with um, a lot of frustration and anger, even though what I had said was not controversial, but the post was of things that he had said that was controversial. And so it seemed like I was being extremely negative, which I had, you know, I, some of the posts I had posted, I'm not going to lie, I, I posted some frustrations and I recognize that. And and I don't necessarily apologize, but I, I recognize that maybe that's not the best way to handle it. Um, and so that that I think was one of the biggest moments where I really struggled with that. And and I recognize that maybe, you know, for me, Facebook, the way I saw it was it was a way that that I'm connecting with a community and helping others who frustrate or are, are feeling the same or similar things can relate and, and find that piece because that's how I found it. I found a lot of these stories that I um, studied into when I was coming out or struggling on Facebook and social media and different places. So for me, that was a community builder. So that's kind of the motivation of why I'm like, since it helped me, it can help others because the new generations are coming up on social media. Like that's that's how we connect. Um, and, and I'm not saying that as a bad or a good thing, um, but that's what the motivation between a lot of those posts is to help others who are struggling or feeling the same thing that they can, they can come to me. Um, and that's an option. It's honest. And, um, I know on my own journey talking about this, it's developed, it's taken time to talk about, um, my love of the church, my support of the church, mm-hmm. um, and also support of LGBTQ people and, the, and some like you that step away. Yeah. And, um, it's probably harder for you cause it's your own life you're sharing there and your own yeah. feelings. And, and so, you know, I don't, I, I don't have any advice for you. I just acknowledge the difficult road that you're on as you share your feelings and how that can be difficult. And, um, you know, I, I, I remember I was talking to a former mission president. He was talking about how one apostle came and to his mission and how all the missionaries take notes mm-hmm. while he spoke. And then the next apostle came six months later and told all the missionaries, don't take notes. I want <laughs> yep. you to listen to exactly what I say. And he, it's, and another general authority taught, taught me the principle of personal preference and, um, and, and just how we, and so I sometimes manage, um, what I hear from Elder Oaks is a personal preference. I think all the brethren believe in the same doctrine. Mm-hmm. And I think everybody knows the doctrine of our church, that marriage is between a man and a woman and a marriage, a same sex marriage is outside the doctrine of our church. Mm-hmm. You know that. Yep. <laughs> I know that. Um, I'm not asking that for to change. I support our doctrine, support our leaders, but I think sometimes leaders have a personal preference about how they talk about that doctrine. Yeah. And I recognize Elder Oaks has a personal preference, um, the way he talks about that. And, um, there's, and I don't mean to say this doesn't mean it's okay. Most other general, you know, members of the 12 don't talk about it quite like Elder Oaks. Yeah. And so I, 
I just recognize, and is it possible that personal preference of him to communicate the same, all the 12 agree in the same doctrine, but his personal preference, the way he communicates that often makes it harder for LGBTQ members to stay and, and families that have LGBTQ members that are barely hanging on. Is it possible that personal preference makes it harder to stay? And and so that's the way I kind of manage it. Mm -hmm. Um, But I just, and and so does that mean I'm not supportive of Elder Oaks? No, I'd sustain and support Elder Oaks. Um, I hold the temple recommend, um, but I just recognize that um, at times our leaders have a personal preference, the way I talk about a subject and a doctrine in it. And, you know, just, and it's just kind of the way I navigate that. But I do recognize that my personal preference at times, the way I talk about things, may be upsetting to other traditional mm-hmm. members. When I serve as a bishop or served in other callings, I probably at times, you know, created pain for other people, the way I conducted a meeting or the way I talked about a group or a, a, a lack of following up or something I said. And so I'm just an imperfect leader and in a, in a church that I believe just is, um, I believe in our church and I believe in our doctrine, but it doesn't mean we're perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just, I think it's good we talk about it. I recognize that um, it's difficult for LGBTQ members. And so some, um, when conference comes around, are kind of in, because they felt kind of some church-generated pain or even trauma, they then, when conference comes around, they kind of get reminded of those difficult times. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they need to kind of separate themselves from be, potentially being re-traumatized. Yeah. And so... It's just complicated, but that's kind of the purpose mm-hmm. of this podcast, this talk about complicated stuff. And and the principle here I'm trying to communicate is there's, Tyler and I are having different experiences in the <laughs> church. Yeah. Um, I'm having a really good experience. <laughs> um, Tyler has had a really good experience at time mm-hmm. and has chosen to step away. And how do I feel about that? Well, I mourn a little bit because our church is worse off without Tyler. <laughs> Um, and I look at the man across the table for me and his gifts and his contributions and his Christ-like attributes and what he did in France, and I recognize we're worse off without Tyler. But I also recognize that, you know, this is what Tyler's felt is the right path for him, so I'm just going to leave that at the Savior's feet. I'm not, Thank you. I'm not responsible for judging you. There's no doctrine that says that I, as a rank-and-file member, get to pass any judgment on you, Tyler. Thank you. And, um, and so I just—and I— I just admire you and I've interacted with you a little bit and I think you have a great life ahead of you. And I love what you're doing with ACE at SUU and, and the, and the work you're doing to make sure every student feels welcome um, at Southern Utah university. And I just, and as I think you're gonna have a great life ahead of you. Thank you. Um, But that was kind of a long talk. Mm -hmm. Um, Any, any thoughts, more thoughts that come to your mind? Um, I think I think the biggest thing is just I I hope people cuz I, I when I when I left when I started distancing myself I felt a huge separation um from people in the church and and almost to the point where I don't know 100% who I can trust cuz I was leaving the church for for not only reasons of being um, gay, but also for reason the way that I was treated 
and my family was treated growing up in the, the specific ward that we were in. Um, and, and we struggled a lot with that. And that you, you can read more about that on my blog. There's I'm going to be um, talking about a lot of different things that I've experienced. Um, but I think the biggest thing was people, I think I encourage people to, to try to um, maybe see from other people's perspective and, and not judge immediately. And I know that's hard to do because it, it's someone who apostatizes from the church and that's the way the church looks at it. Um, and I understand that um, it, it, from that perspective, it may seem like they are actively going against the church because of some malicious reason or anything like that. And that, and that can come across as, as a fear. And I get that. Um, however, I think for the most part, it's usually um, where people have been hurt. And, and in all honesty, I, I'm not saying I made the decision because I wasn't given enough care and that that would have changed a hundred percent. I don't know, but I know that, that if, if I think the people that were closest to me um, were willing to have those conversations and, and at least help me talk through some of these things instead of pushing me away. And I'm not blaming it all on them because I think I pulled away too. It's, it's a mutual thing, but I think the biggest thing to get out of this experiences if if I knew that there was people I could go to in the church that were active that were already because reaching out to other people who you don't know as well like it, like you in this situation I didn't know you very well right. and so it's not the same as being able to talk to like if a family member that that, that is willing to sit down and, and validate what I'm going through but yet still encourage me in ways that's that's faithful for the church like there's a way to just listen and be there for people without um and i don't know how what i'm trying to say but the biggest thing is just love even if people decide to step away that's and that's why i appreciate this podcast so much because you are creating that space you're creating that um culture shift hopefully that we can still embrace people um but that's something i struggled with is a lot of people i i think there's this and maybe that's a lot in my mind is what I'm trying to say too. I agree. Is that in my mind, I think that there's that culture that we expect a lot that people are going to act this way. And then when people do, we expect everyone's going to be that way. And it's kind of that weird shift. Um, and so sound in that, that if a potential yearning to have been able to stay, if the right sort of people could have kind of walked with you in mm -hmm. this really complicated road and maybe yeah. your outcome would have been different. Um, yeah. And I don't invalidate your current outcome in saying that. I just recognize that mm -hmm. you're wondering sometimes if some really trusted um, people could have heard your journey and just, yeah. I, I called it walking with the YSAs. Some mm -hmm. YSAs were clearly not coming to church and had no desire to come to church, but they'd meet with me. Mm -hmm. um, one guy just wanted to overcome meth. He had no desire to come to church. Yeah. <laughs> and I just said, well, I'll, I'll help you. You yeah. set the agenda and I'll... And I'll sort of walk with you the best. Now, if he wanted to join ISIS or wanted to become a sex trafficker, I'm not going to walk that road. Um, but and so I don't know if that's, you know, sort of like, I'll walk this road with you, Tyler. My mm -hmm. job as your priesthood leader, I'll, yeah, I'll always stand for the church and invite you to follow yeah. the church teachings, but I'll walk with you. You set the agenda on what you want to talk about and how you're feeling, and I'll be a safe place for you. Um, and in the back of my mind, I'm thinking that might increase the likeliness you'd stay, but I'll just let you set the agenda. Yeah. That's our doctrine in some ways, agency to decide your own self-determine your own path. So I don't know if that's 
feels like yeah, no, consistent I, with what you've been sharing. I think you explained it better than I did. Well, um, but I, yeah, I think that's exactly because I've had, ex- I have relationships where um, I feel like me leaving has ruined that, that relationship and that we can't even talk the same way we did before. Um, I have a lot of personal, uh, I'd say a handful, thankfully not, not more than, but some of them I, I just struggled to keep in contact with. So it, it's okay. Yeah. Um, but there are some that I really, I mourn the the loss of the relationship that we have because of. That I think I know the answer to this question. Do you want the church to fail? Do you want other gay people to leave the church? N- no, if that's not their journey, if that, like, I know for people who are LGBTQ, it's, it's going to be hard to stay, but if you want to do that, that's, that's your life and you should have that, that, that power to stay. Um, I would not encourage anyone um, to leave the church unless I'm, I'm just encouraging people to do what they feel is best for them. I'm not going to be advocately going to the church and saying, leave the church because of this, this, this reason. That's not something I want to do. And that was never my intention, even posting some of the frustrations I had. I just wanted to feel validated in those frustrations that, that recognize that these are things that I struggle with, that these really are, valid concerns and and i think that maybe is the frustration that i had that that was never recognized by people and not never because there are people that have that's why i have such relationships with people in the church but there are some people that i never that that never happened with and that's what i mourn is not being able to have a relationship after i've left um that's i thought you'd answer that question that Mm -hmm. way um and that's where i love where you are and I would call it a really mature place um, where even though the church didn't work out for you and there's anger and frustration um, and you really worked hard to make the church work and serve the mission did so much good that then, you know, you have a maturity to recognize this isn't, you know, I don't want to pull other people with me, mm-hmm. just kind of honor how I feel in my journey. And I can, that's really comfortable space for me personally yeah. is to, where you are, um, we I sometimes talk about the f- difference between an anti-Mormon or an ec- a former Mormon. In mm-hmm. some ways, you're a former Mormon, yeah, and anti- who just wants sort of permission to live your life, and yeah, and an anti-Mormon obviously wants the church to fail and other people to leave. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but I think even on your road, it's okay to listen to and kind of acknowledge the pain of why you left and validate you why you left. Um, and some people would say, well, how can you do that? As How can I do that as a committed Latter-day Saint? And um, to sort of acknowledge, or, and I just I, I just leave it at the Savior's feet. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just yeah. recognize that I don't know. There's a scripture, and I think it's Nephi. It says, nevertheless, I do not know the meaning of all things. Yeah. And so I don't, I you know, I recognize your road's just harder as a gay Latter-day Saint. And when I was your age, <laughs> I had an authorized path to find a companion that was consistent with the church, and I recognize you don't. And uh, it's a pretty hard road that you face of a life, if you want to stay in the church, of being alone and being celibate. And some do that, and we support them. But even if those choose to leave, we kind of put those guys up and women on a pedestal. And sometimes then if they leave, they become the villain. Mm -hmm. And they're really just the same good person. They just felt like that, you know, they needed... They just felt their path was different. And so I think I don't want to make you the villain, in other words. I don't want to make you the hero for going on a mission to Paris and 
if I were at your homecoming, I bet it was an incredible homecoming. And I bet I felt a great spirit as you reported on your mission in France, and I sense your good spirit, and now I don't want to make you the villain. Tyler, because you're the same good person. Um, and I feel a good spirit around you. I feel a desire to do what's right. I feel a desire to help other people like you're doing. At Southern University, I feel a desire to try to find common ground. And I feel a real yearning because it's hard to, you don't really belong in any community right now. And I think you illustrate that pretty well. And then potentially the, the difficult feeling that is emotionally to not fully belong anywhere. And so I'm glad you're still here. Um, and any thoughts you want to share just in closing? Um, well, I'm, I'm just grateful for, for this podcast and this opportunity. I think this is conversations that need to happen. Um, and they're hard conversations and I think I recognize that. Um, and, and I'm trying to be as more empathetic than I have been in the past to that. And, and so I just am grateful for that opportunity to, to be part of this conversation. So Tyler Barber, thank you for joining us on this podcast and just having the courage to share your journey. You're, um, I love you, brother, and I believe in you. you. And you have a great life ahead of you. And I'm glad that you found, you know, you belong to Southern University right now, Southern Utah University. <laughs> I, you know, from what I sense, and you're doing good work there and who you are is valued and needed and being put to work and um, and everybody needs to feel that way and feel they're contributing. So you're contributing in so many ways. And I'm grateful for your courage to come on this podcast. So thank you, our listeners, for joining us on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. Mm-hmm.